Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our trying God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet at 7.40pm tomorrow night. Consistory with deacons will meet at 8pm tomorrow. You are reminded that Classes North will convene on Friday at 9am. This afternoon the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from hymn 69 verses 1 and 3. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to our God. We'll sing from Psalm 62, the verses 1 and 4.
Let us now make a confession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Nicene Creed. Let everyone say with me in his heart, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men in our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 34, the verses 1 and 2. Let's now call upon the Lord in prayer and let's ask God for his blessing.
Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you that we know that you're a God who helps his people. We promise us, Lord, that when we look to you in prayer, when we call upon you, then you hear our voice and you answer us. You don't do that because we're such good people. It's not because we have our lives together because anything that we have done, but you promise to do that, Lord, for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He said that if we ask anything in your name, then you will do it. And so we come to you this afternoon, Lord, and we want to ask you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us a rich measure of your Spirit, that through your Spirit we would understand your word. We pray, Father, that we would understand who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. That we appreciate the gift we have received in him, and that we base our life on his work for us. We ask, Lord, that as we consider the sacrament of baptism, that we understand that the whole purpose of baptism is to focus our attention off of ourselves and onto our Savior. And so we pray, Father, that you help us with this, that you equip us to look to Christ in faith and to receive his blessing in our lives. Please strengthen us with your word. Please receive the, the worship that we offer you. It's really precious that we can sit here together and we may sing together, that we can pray to you, that we can offer our thank offerings to you, that we can confess our faith before you. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to listen to us. There's so many other people in this world who also ask for your attention. And so we're, we're deeply grateful that you still care about us and that you will hear us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the sacrament of baptism. The Lord has instituted baptism so that we understand how rich we are in Jesus Christ. He forgives us our sins and he renews us through his spirit. And in connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the scriptures, or it's actually one passage with a little break in between. It's from Colossians 1 and 2. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to start reading Colossians 1, verse 9. You can find that on page 1168 of your guest Bible. So in Colossians 1, we'll start reading at verse 9, and we're going to read through to verse 23. And in chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1, and we'll read the first 15 verses. In Colossians 1, verse 9, after thanking God for the faith and the love that the Colossians have, then he continues in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then continuing chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So far the reading of God's word. Let's sing of the... The salvation work of our God, we're going to sing from Psalm 118, the verses 1, 5, and 6.
This afternoon I preach to you the biblical teaching concerning baptism. I'm going to consider that by looking at what the church has summarized to confess in Lord's Day 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 540 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 26, the first question asks there, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where is Christ's promise that he will wash us in his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 28. Then in Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. That's in Titus 3 and Acts 22. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 58, verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, October 31st, 1517, then he faced some pretty significant opposition from the Roman Catholic Church. First he was questioned, then after a little while he was opposed in some pretty forceful ways. They actually excommunicated him from the church, and after that then the emperor Charles V, he declared him to be a notorious heretic, and he wanted to, to kill him, put an end to his life. And so Luther had to flee. He was hiding away in the, the castle in Wart, Wartburg. And there were times where, during this course of his life and the subsequent years, where it was really pretty difficult for him. What gave him the most distress during the course of his life was trying to find peace with God. He was a man who, who had a real sense that God is a holy God, and that we need to be holy in his sight. And he really, that was a profound struggle that he experienced for most of his life, trying to achieve holiness before God. And when he finally, finally came to faith in Christ, he had to teach the book of Romans. Well, he taught the book of Romans to some people who were going to become priests. And when he when he taught the book of Romans, then he came to understand that we're saved by faith as an act of God's grace. 
So when we put our trust in Christ, then we share in the righteousness of Christ, and we're justified. And it was a, it was a huge adjustment in his thinking. Yet it's interesting, this is still one of the defining features of his life. If you, if you read through Luther's life, then, then the dominant way in which he reformed the church was in doctrine. And the key doctrine for Luther was always the doctrine of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, even after his conversion, after he came to understand that he's saved by faith in Christ, it was still difficult for him. He often felt that he was being attacked by the devil. And he really struggled through much of that. And one of the things that he did, one of the ways that he would comfort himself is sometimes he took a piece of chalk and he wrote on his desk, Baptizatus sum. For the Latin buffs out there, you know what it means. And for the rest of you, it means I am baptized. His great comfort is that he was baptized. When Satan would attack, when doubts would threaten, when he felt that he was in a really difficult place, then the one thing that assured him was that he was baptized. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, have you ever written that on your desk? I am baptized? Do you think much about it? About the fact that you're baptized? Luther treated this as one of the defining moments of his life. He often called it to mind, and he often referred back to that, because he saw in that moment that, that there was something really powerful that God had done for him. We're going to look at that. We're going to see what the, what the Scripture teaches us about that, in, in this, especially in this, this section here of Colossians. I'm going to do that by, under this theme, baptism is a reminder of the forgiveness and the renewal that we have in Christ. We're going to see in the first place is that we are forgiven in Christ, and secondly, that it's a reminder that we're renewed in Christ. Now, one place where the Lord talks about the role of baptism is in the passage we read together from Colossians chapter 2. In the first verse of Colossians 2, Paul tells the Colossians that he has been laboring for them and for the other believers in the area that they may be encouraged in heart united in love, and that they may have a deep understanding of Jesus Christ. He wants them to believe in Christ. He wants them to live out of the knowledge of who Christ is and what Christ has done. He wants them to base their life on Christ and to live out of him. And it's in that context that he makes some comments about baptism. Maybe you want to open your Bible with me. We'll read a few verses together. It's in Colossians 2. We'll start reading at verse 11. So he's just warned them against not being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, not by the elementary spirits of the world. These are demonic spirits, but rather to know Christ and to live out of him. And in verse 11, he says, In him, that's in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what Paul does here is he picks up on an earlier um, practice in the Old Testament, the practice of circumcision. In the Old Testament, little Hebrew boys, they were circumcised on the eighth day. Now Paul picks up on this image and he says, you also were circumcised, only this didn't happen physically by cutting away a little bit of flesh. And he says, you were circumcised spiritually. And what that means, he says, is that Christ cut off your sinful nature. The Lord repeats the imagery a little later. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He said, you were, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins, but you were circumcised in Christ, and now you've, you've been put that away from you. Your sins have been put away from you. And so being circumcised means that the sinful nature has been cut off. It's been put away from you. And then the whole point that Paul makes here is that he's saying you've been circumcised in Christ. There's a gift of God for you in Jesus Christ. It's not something you do yourself. You don't have the power in yourself to put sin away from you and to be set free from sin. But God does this for you through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it says there in verse 13. He has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What Paul's doing here is he's borrowing an, an image, some imagery from the world of business. At that time, if you took a loan out, then you received a certificate of indebtedness in the debtor's handwriting. Well, Paul's talking about the debt that we used to owe God. There was this record of debt of all our sins that we committed against God. And he's saying that Jesus Christ has paid for that debt with his death on the cross. He has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He's nailed it to the cross. And so what he's really saying here is he's saying your sins are not counted against you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are taken away from you. And that's symbolized through your baptism. There's a connection that Paul makes here between circumcision and baptism. In verse 11 he says, In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of, the God, of God who raised him from the dead. It is through baptism that you're buried with Christ. It's through baptism that you share in this sin being cut off and taken away from you, your debts being, being canceled and nailed to the cross. Every few months here, brothers and sisters, we have a, a child who's baptized. And it's really 
a very beautiful moment for, for the child. It's a really beautiful moment for the family. The child is included in the covenant of God. This child receives the promises of God. The Father will be their, their God who will look out for them. And the Son will forgive their sins. And the Holy Spirit promises to live in their hearts and to change them. But you know, baptism is not just for that child. It's also for you and me. The Lord is reminding us of what he's done for us in Christ. Every time you witness baptism, the Lord's giving you a very visible reminder. You know, we have this saying, seeing is believing. Well, God wants you to give you a visible reminder that he's not going to hold your sins against you, but that he's going to take all of them away from you. And if you, if you remember that these words were first written to the Colossians, the church of Colossae, these were people who were pagans. They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't walk closely with God. These were people who are caught up in sexual immorality. They're caught up in worshiping all these false gods. They lived in this world where there's all these other gods, and these gods had profound power in their lives, and they, they were always fearful of what these different gods could do to them. Paul talks about that in chapter 1. He talks about the supremacy of Christ. Christ made every throne, power, dominion that's out there. Christ made all these, these demons, these false gods. He's greater than all of them. And so the Lord is really trying to encourage his people. He's trying to, to write to these people who are caught in, in the horrific world that they used to be in. He's saying, all your sins of the past have been canceled. They've all been taken away. There's not one of them that, that is still held against you. Well, it would have been an incredible blessing for these people of God to reflect on that and to think about that. They had a pretty bad history. There's a lot of things that they had done. And now God says, every time you see a baptism, you can be reminded of the fact that I'm not going to count any of that against you. If you... Um, Maybe if you want to go back with me, just one chapter there, back to chapter 1. In Colossians 1, the Lord talks about it. It's in verse 19 and following there. First he talks about Jesus Christ being made in the image of, in, of the invisible God, and that he created all things, including these thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. That's a reference to the spiritual forces of darkness. Then in verse 19, he continues, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which is being proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. You who once were alienated and hostile in, minds, hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. These people were, were alienated from God. They were hostile in mind. They were enemies of the cross. They had nothing to do with God. And so the baptism was intended to be this great comfort, this great encouragement, 
that none of that applies. That's all been wiped away. That's all been nailed to the cross. And you stand before God without any guilt. It's as Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, this is the first thing that our confession summarizes about the blessings we receive through our baptism, brothers and sisters. You're washed in the blood of Christ. All your sins are taken away. We're not living in Colossae. Many of us have, have grown up in Christian homes. Some of us have not. Some of us have quite a history where, where we are alienated from God, where we did a lot of things that were displeasing to God. Even those of us who grew up in Christian homes, we still have our own histories, and there's enough stuff that we've done that we're not, that we're not really proud of. Well, the great comfort of God is, is he says, I take that away from you. And there's times where it's really important, brothers and sisters. It's in the struggle of sin. It's in the moments when you know that you've done evil and you're sorry about that and you don't want to keep doing it and you humble yourself before the Lord. Then the Lord assures you. He says, I have taken away. And there is no guilt. And so, maybe you want to write it on your phone so that every once in a while it comes up, I have been baptized. You can do it in English, not in Latin. It's not a bad thing to do. I have been baptized. There is no guilt for Christ's sake. And then the other thing that the apostle encourages us here, that the confession summarizes, is also the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not just like when, when you're baptized and when you're forgiven your sins in Christ, that deals with the past. All the past is taken away. All your history is dealt with. But sometimes we look to the future and we wonder, well, well, how do I know? Is it ever going to be different for me? Am I ever going to change? I met a woman one time, and she was caught in the lifestyle. She had slept around with many men. And she didn't dare ask for forgiveness anymore because she said, how do I know? that I'm not going to keep living that life. How do I know? It doesn't seem right to keep asking because I've failed so often. And it's in that context that baptism has a great promise. The Lord promises to renew you. He promises to make you into a new person. In Colossians 2 verse 13, there we're told that God forgave all our sins, canceling the record of death that stood against us. But then the other element is mentioned first in verse 11 and then in verse 13, is that he cut off our sinful nature and he made us alive once again. You are made alive in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ lives in you and he changes you. Through his Holy Spirit, he makes you into a new person so that sin does not have the same power over you that it once did. Your father wants you to remember that. He wants you to often call it to mind. He wants you to trust that he's going to work for you, work out for you what he has promised you in Christ. We heard this morning about the, the calling to be patient. Not sure if you had a conversation together with your family about that, about how patient you are or how impatient you are. This is one of the, 
the callings that God gives, he calls you to be a patient person. And he promises that that can really happen. You can really be that person. We're all by nature impatient. It comes out in a million different ways. When you, when you think about it, when you really reflect on it, when you realize how you act and interact in all sorts of different situations, then it's in your face and you see a lot of impatience. And it's in that context that the Lord promises, he says, I can make you new. Jesus Christ was extremely patient. God the Father is extremely patient. And Christ promised to live in your heart with his spirit. He promised to make you new. He promised to change you. That was the promise that, that God gave to these Colossians. These Colossians, their lives were mired in sin. They were living pagan, godless lives. And they came to faith in Christ. And God said to them, you can live, you will live a new life. I will do that for you. I will change you through the power of Jesus Christ. You will put off the old nature and you will put on the new nature. And part of that new nature, we read this morning, is, is also a life of patience, that you will be equipped and enabled to live as a patient person. Well, if you, if you go back to, to Colossians 1 verse 9, there the apostle tells the Colossians that ever since he heard about them, he's been asking that God give them the knowledge of his will. And he says the reason he asked God for that is so that they may live a life in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He prays that they may be given spiritual wisdom and understanding, and he wants them to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. Well, what do you think God's going to do with that prayer? Paul prays that they may know Christ, and that they may live a life that's fully pleasing to him, that they may be alive in Christ, and they may live that out. Well, sometimes we're in a situation, brothers and sisters, we, we know that it's where it's supposed to be, that's how it's supposed to be, but we can hardly imagine that it's actually going to happen for us. The hardest thing in the world is personal change. And yet this is the work of God. God delights to change us. You know, by nature we are weak. And we do have powerful enemies. But Christ has the power. He is preeminent. That's the whole point that Paul makes to the Colossians. He's supreme. He created all things. He rules all things. He has power over all the spiritual force of darkness. He has power over your hearts. He can live in you and he can change you and he can make you into a new person. And so he calls the people, he says, you need to believe this. You need to believe that Christ is the power. And you need to believe that he can make a difference for you. And that is the great joy that God has. He loves to make us into these new people. And the way he does it, Colossians 2 verse 12, is he does it through faith. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You must believe that God has the power. You must believe that he can change you. You must believe that he has forgiven you. It is through faith that you get to share. And that's where your baptism comes in. Every time you get to see a child baptized, every time you reflect back on your own baptism, then the Lord gives that to you as a strengthening of your faith. Think about what I've done to you. Think of what I promised you. Think about the promise of the Holy Spirit and think about the promise that I've given you in Christ. 
that you're not on your own, you don't have to do it in your own strength, and you're not a failure, and I can change you and I will change you as you look to me and as you depend upon me. Well, it's one of the, the greatest things ever, brothers and sisters, to, to live in Christ, to realize how, how rich we are in Christ. Read through the book of Colossians, read through Paul's other letters, and read about what it means to be in Christ. It's when you read about all the, the things that the Apostle says about being in Christ that you will more and more trust in him. You'll depend upon him. And you'll know that he's able to accomplish for you what he's promised to give to you. Christ has the power. And the Spirit has the joy to do it. So reflect on your baptism. Call it to mind. And trust God to work it out for you. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 58, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember our brother Andrew Muhlenberg. So Andrew had an operation on his elbow a few months ago, and it didn't end up with the result that they were hoping. So he needs another operation. That means he's going to be off work for another six weeks and, and time after that. So we'll pray to God for a blessing over the operation that it may go well. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, Thank you so much for your love towards us, Father. Thank you that it is your desire to live in intimate communion together with us. Thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins, that you sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts to renew us to live with you. Thank you, Father, that you've given us baptism by which you remind us of the great gifts that you've given us in Christ. We pray, Father, 
that we would often think back on our baptism. There are moments when we face significant temptation. There's times when, when we struggle with sin, where it seems that sin is a really powerful force in our lives. We don't seem to be able to get out from it. Lord, during those moments, help us to remember that we were baptized, that you lay your seal upon us. You promised us that you will take all our sins away for Jesus' sake, that you nail it to the cross, you cancel the bond which stood against us. There's no more record of our sins because they've been paid in the blood of our Savior. Father, help us to live with the awareness that there is no condemnation over us, but that you love us and you're not angry with us anymore. And then help us also, Lord, that we may have a change of heart, that as we look forward to the future, that, that we may do so with good hope, granted as we reflect on the grace that you've extended to us, that we hate sin and that we flee from it. Help us to realize, Lord, how offensive sin is in your sight. Help us to see our sin for what it really is. And grant that, that with the powerful working of your spirit, that you change us and you make us into new people. Father, we can't do that by our, by our own strength. We each have our own history, we have our own struggles, we've had our own, our own background, and that's had quite an impact on our lives. But you are powerful to overcome. You have the, the ability to make us into new people. And so we pray that for Jesus' sake that you would do so. Live powerfully in our hearts. Fill us with the fruit of your spirit. Help us to live the new life in Christ and grant that through us also that we may be a blessing to the people around us. Lord, grant that more and more we may be conformed to the image of your Son and that our lives may be a testament of your grace. The Apostle Paul, he, he himself, he called himself the worst of sinners. He looked back in his life where he persecuted and sought to kill your people. And then he... He was astounded at the extent of your grace towards him, and he rejoiced in the powerful work that you do, that you change those who hate you into those who love you. Father, work this out in our lives and help us to live closely with you and grant that through us that your grace may shine to many people, that other people see what a great God you are, that they humble themselves before you and that they seek your face. We pray, Lord, that you continue to bring new members to our congregation, that we may continue to also mentor and disciple them, that we can teach them who you are, that they may grow in your word, and that they may receive your grace as well. Thank you, Lord, that in November we can look forward to, to the young people doing profession of their faith. Thank you also that we have two other new members who, who look forward to joining our church as well. What an incredible joy, what a great gift of your Holy Spirit. We honor you, we thank you for that. We now ask, Father, that you would Please take care of us in the, the week that lies before us. Each of us has different things that we're busy with. Remember especially our, our brother Muhlenberg. He had this operation a few months ago, and we're just saddened to hear the news that, that it didn't take and that he still has trouble with the tendon, that he needs another operation. We pray for patience for our brother, Lord. We also pray that the doctors are able to help him and that he can have healing this time. We ask that you surround them with your love and care. We also pray, Lord, for a blessing of the work that's being done on the mission field thankful for, for the conference that the Reform Ministries personnel, the mission board could be involved with. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the blessing that gives on the mission field. Grant that, that it can be an encouragement for our missionaries, for the board, for the, also for the, especially for the pastors and for the churches in P&G. We also pray that you would 
please be near to the poles. They're on their way over here, a bit of trouble with their paperwork in the airport, and so we pray that you please grant this paperwork and grant that they're able to arrive here. I also want to ask, Father, that you please be with the Kleins, that you would be near to them, also to, to Richard and Leo as they, they say farewell. We ask that you bless the Toronto Mission Board as well as they seek to refine a placement for Reverend Klein and that, that this work in, in the Bible College can continue. Thank you so much, Lord, for the blessing that you continue to give in the mission field. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in that work and please grant your blessing over it. Father, we also come to you and we wish to, to ask you for your help for your people living in, in Israel and also in, in the Gaza Strip. I want to pray, Father, that that you would please grant your assistance. Such a, a terrible thing that happened, this terrible attack, and many people lost their lives. And now there's, there's also some, some repercussions where there's a desire to put an end to these, these things continuing to happen. And Lord, that, that has the potential to, to become a, a really great confrontation. And we, we want to entrust this to your throne of grace we want to ask that you take care of your people. We don't know how many of your people are involved in this situation and where they're at, but we want to pray, Father, that you please comfort them, that you protect them, that you keep them safe. Grant, Lord, that whoever calls upon you, that you may hear their prayers and that you would help them. And we pray, Father, that if it is your will, that you spare people from, from more death and destruction. There's so much sadness. There's so many broken families. There's so many so much loss of life, and there's so many broken people that come through warfare. We also think of the conflict in, in the Ukraine, the, the incredible amount of suffering that, that happens there. Father, we ask that, that you would rescue people from evil. We ask that you would put an end to the warfare. We pray that the gospel may go out, that we may have changed hearts and changed lives, where we don't hate others, where we don't attack and kill others, but where we care about others, where we show that care in our dealings together, even with our enemies. Father, you have the power to change hearts. You have the power to rescue people. And so we pray this. We ask for the sake of Jesus Christ that you would rescue us, that you bring us to you, and that you grant us your grace. Father, we thank you that you've promised us that there is a time coming where you will, where the spears and the swords will be, will be beaten into plowshares and where the Prince of Peace will reign, where Jesus Christ will bring us into a new world, where there is no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain anymore. Father, we also wish to, to entrust our country to your throne of grace. Yesterday, there was a, a referendum on changing the Constitution. In the end, as a nation, we decided not to change the Constitution. Father, we didn't have clarity as a nation about what the expectation was around that. I want to bring this situation before your throne of grace. At core, Lord, we, we pray that again, that we may love one another as Australians, that we can look after each other and we take good care of each other. Pray that we also care about the indigenous population. There's a lot of, a lot of suffering that happens. It's been really difficult for many people to, to make an adjustment into Western society. And many times, Lord, there's, there's a lot of suffering and a lot of brokenness. We ask that you would please help to rescue people out of the darkness. We pray that you bring them into the light. I want to pray, Father, that you, that you help our governments to have specific policies that, that help 
that righteousness may be promoted, that in the end, that justice may be administered. We pray that the weak and vulnerable may be rescued. And we ask, Father, that, that as a nation, that we, we do what we can to move in this direction. At the same time, Lord, we recognize that there is there's a lot of harm that's been done. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of brokenness. And there's, there's a need for so much wisdom to know how to move forward in a good way. And so we pray that you grant wisdom. We ask that you, that you help us as a nation, that we be rescued from evil. We pray, Lord, that you would please change the culture. And we ask that you do that through the gospel. Grant that the good news of salvation goes out, that many people hear it and may share, and that this also may lead to peace and unity within our nation. Father, thank you that you have, you have a handle on it. Thank you that you use all things for the good of your people. Please help us to trust you and to put our hope in you alone. We ask, Father, that you please accept our thank offerings now, that you bless us in the rest of this day. Please bless us this coming week as we do a ward Bible study. Grant that we can be encouraged in our faith in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, the collection this afternoon is indeed for the mission work in P&G. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 48, the verses 3 and 4.
Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.